0: Hey, what's up? This is Dee Murthy here. I'm sitting down with Adam at Mogul Insider. Just finished our podcast, super insightful questions. Uh, Got to hear my story and more importantly, kind of give really cool information for young entrepreneurs out there starting their careers. Check us out.
1: Man, D Murthy, thank you so much for being on the podcast, brother. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you for your time. So let's get this started. I want to start off, take me back to the moment this entire empire that you've built begun, and
0: take me through your thought process and what got you started on this journey. So our our business started when my business partner and I were actually students at USC and we had to write a business plan on a business. And I had when I was eighteen years old, I had started my first business, which was um, a website that actually got really good traction. It was early internet, it was 1998. Oh, wow. And so we actually got some good traction, raised a bunch of money. And then by the time I was 21 years old, kind of had a falling out with my partners, walked away from the business, had to write a business plan for school. A friend of mine was super into fashion. We go to New York City for a school trip, and he goes, oh, let's go to this store, I wanna buy something. And I had no money, so I had no interest in shopping for clothes. So I'm sitting in the corner of the store, kind of like grumpy, like why are we here? And then finally I flipped over a, uh, a, a label to see the price and this awesome jacket was $39. And I was like, whoa, what store is this? And it was the first ever uh, H&M in America hmm. on Fifth Avenue in New York City. And that's when my eyes opened up and was like, oh, my God, you can make fashion accessible like anyone can look good. And so we came back to school and we started writing a brand, a business plan for a brand called Five Four, which our whole premise was creating an American fast fashion brand.
1: So what got you so intrigued about the jacket that you saw was the price point or what was it exactly that got you? It was really
0: the price. It was like a really cool, fashionable jacket at that price. And I had always grown up seeing those types of things and assuming they were all expensive. Mm. You couldn't look good for a price because you have to remember at this point in America, there was no H&M, there was no Zara, not that many Forever 21s. That concept of like affordable, good looking clothing. wasn't even uh, it was everything that was good looking was expensive. I see. So that's when we were like, wow, you can if you can make fashion accessible, it's gonna get guys excited about shopping. So, why 5'4? Five, 5'4 four? Five, four was just like a dumbass slang term that we had in college to say okay. goodbye to each other. We, we grew up on hip hop, so we used to say like one, one love. And then one day this kid in our class was like 5'4, and we were like, what's that? And he goes, 5 minus 4 equals 1. So, we got enamored with the w- phrase 5'4. So, when we were writing the business plan, you just have to come up with a name. So we're just like, "Ah, oh, five four, that's funny." <laughs> and here we are. It's crazy because I'm asking
1: you because I feel like nowadays a lot of entrepreneurs focus so much on the name of the what whatever they start yeah. it's
0: irrelevant. It's irrelevant, so from Completely your experience irrelevant. it doesn't make it's the story you tell with the name what's the so what whatever the brand is, that's what truly matters. yeah, the name is like you can make anything important and relevant. Think about what some of the most popular names in in, in history yeah they, they're they're just made up, very interesting, yeah.
1: So why fashion, and was this something you've, already, you've always had when you were younger, or is it just because of that one jacket that made you go?
0: Yeah, I was more of always opportunity-driven. It has nothing to do with fashion. I, I just love the concept of creating something. And so my partner was into fashion, and I was just enamored with the idea of doing something that could be disruptive, which was like making clothes accessible. And, um, and by the way, fashion is really fun. Like you know, we we saw if you are successful in fashion, you live a a life that you could only dream of, and so we were like, yeah, let's go for it. Maybe maybe it'll work. So we actually end up writing the business plan in college, and launching the brand while we're in uh, still students. Where were you going at this point? USC. USC. Okay. So I went to USC, and we start selling shirts on campus. Our friends buy support us. We then take. Uh, the samples and start going to local stores in LA and they start buying it so we were like wow we got into three stores on the first day we tried and we were like oh my god we're, we're on fire really yeah and so you know you, they were it was more of just like oh you guys are young we want to support you sure not that we were making good clothes so we end up throwing a big party we create a lot of momentum while we're students <laughs> we graduate from college and we were like let's go for it max out our credit cards we had two credit cards each maxed them out back then you launched a brand by going to a trade show okay so um, it's you buy a booth you build a booth and you hope retailers come and buy your products I see. and so that's how we built our business so we went out we did the first trade show August 2002 and just sat there and try to figure out how to get people to pay attention to us to buy our clothes, and it was rough. It was the first four days we didn't write an order.
1: So you're talking about days
0: over here. So like, yeah. were you
1: expecting things to happen like that?
0: Um, I, I, don't, I think we were literally expecting we would get a lot more traction right away because we had heard of other brands getting traction on day one. Hmm. And so we were like, oh, we're gonna show up and we're gonna write $200,000 in orders and we're off to the races. We wrote like 8,000 over four days. And we probably spent fifteen thousand to get there, and so we were like, "How? Like, I literally had to call my mom to buy us lunch because we had no money. We were in Las Vegas. We couldn't pay for even the fees to get out of get our boot back." Wow. So, what was like the main lesson you learned at that point in your life? This is gonna be very hard. And how did that make you feel? Um, I think the initial was disappointment, but we were like you know what we're in we're in it for the long haul let's give it a shot um the one good thing about my partner and i in our darkest days of being entrepreneurs we laughed because i do that a lot so like what can you do you just start laughing laughing. your medicine yeah so it's like the worst thing we had the (laughs) worst experience for a first time brand and we just laughed we laughed driving all the way back in 120 degrees we laughed our ass off and because it was just funny it was just like oh, whatever what can't We do about it? yeah and we just like you know but we had such a good time we had so much fun those four or five days in vegas at the trade show so like you know what we'll figure it out we have to go put in the, the groundwork so i pretty much then he wanted to be the creative so he focused on learning how to design make product and i said okay i'll go figure out how to get us into stores I literally ended up driving around the entire country going to every single mall convincing people to buy our product and eventually it it happened it took five years insane so tell me what was going on through your head and how you were able to execute on that 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 was just like there was no other choice because the way retail worked at that point is if you had a relationship with the buyer they gave you a shot I had Mm. no relationships so I had to go hang out with people in their stores at their corporate offices befriend them and then two years later they gave me an order and so it was just <laughs> you 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 do business with people who are familiar to you yeah and that's how that industry works so they had to see your face over and over and over and over again and then finally one day like ah oh, you know what you're making some nice stuff we'll give it a shot and that's literally how you had to break down the wall it was just time I see. and how long did this process take you you said five years you said yeah until
1: until you saw a takeoff in the brand or what? Yeah, I
0: mean we saw like early traction with different retailers, but like five years in is when we got Macy's, Nordstrom's, The Buckle. We got every every national chain we wanted. Took about five six years to get, that's and that's crazy. when the business really took off.
1: Very cool. So everybody for everyone that's watching right now, what would you recommend for them
0: if they wanted to start a brand today in, in today's world? Today's is a lot different. You're not relying on a retailer, so today you can go set up a Shopify website and tomorrow you're selling product to anyone who will buy it. The problem is, is you have to think about many things when launching a brand. Because so, people, young kids will see a brand like Supreme or Young and Reckless or all these brands that do millions of dollars in revenue and they're like, oh, I want to launch a streetwear brand. That's what most young people want to do. There are so many levels and layers onto why that brand is doing business. So there's product, the uniqueness of product. But normally, when someone's young and starting off fresh, you're using the same resources as everybody else. So your product's not going to be that unique. Because if it's just a, a graphic on a T-shirt, then think about all the choices you have as a customer to buy any graphic you want on a T-shirt.
1: So what makes Young and Reckless and 5.4, for example, so unique out of everybody else? So,
0: so, so the, the things I was going to say are product, price, distribution. Are the three most important things so in the case of young and reckless the uniqueness was when we launched drama had the number one rated male cable tv show on television hmm. we had a marketing advantage over any other brand so the day we launched the brand it was a household name huh. so we had we didn't have to we didn't have to sit there and figure out how to market the brand it was done for us so i had the experience by the time we had launched young and reckless where I got it into every single store before the first episode of the show. So, at August 26th or something, August 9th, I forgot what day we launched. August 10th, it was in every mall in America already. Because I had shown the wow. first episode to every retailer. And they were like, wow, this is great. We'll at take this it.
1: point, though, you have connections. It's like a speed dial kind of yeah. thing. Yeah,
0: and that's why you know? people, when they want to create the next Young and Reckless you either going to sit there and take years to build out the following and build a brand that people resonate with. Or you have to partner with someone that already has the eyeballs and then you could start. You can go a lot faster. And so this was the first time a brand had launched on television like this. Like it was even MTV had never seen anything like it so we were in a very unique position and we took advantage of it we were prepared to take advantage of it it wasn't like oh my god we got all these orders what do we do we were expecting to get all these orders and we delivered on them and so the brand was off to the races right away in the case of five four we were a traditional wholesale brand we were doing nothing unique our product got better as time went on but we quickly realized during the recession when we had a very very tough time we didn't find we weren't unique in any way we you could buy ralph loren calvin klein j crew gap we're all the same why was five four unique not until 2012 did we actually 10 years later did we actually figure out why we were unique it was a subscription service it was about distribution so that allowed us to completely differentiate ourselves which was take this style quiz guys take 60 seconds give us all this information Put your credit card in and you will never have to shop again. And we'll give you the value that you need to make sure that you never have to shop again. So we were giving people like a jacket and a t-shirt one month, button down and a jean another month. And it was all for only $60. And the quality was uh, comparable to your Gap, your J Crew. So people were like, holy shit. This, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. And so that business then just exploded overnight because the, the world had never seen anything like that. And so for us, the unique differentiating point was distribution. Whereas in Young and Ruckless, it was marketing.
1: I see. So you have to have one or the other.
0: Yeah. For it to blow up. If you could do it all, you could be a mega brand. Yeah. Then you're just a god mode at that point. (laughs) Yeah. but, But that's what it is. You really have to find the uniqueness. And product is what a lot of people think they have is unique. But you have to look at product from a very objective way. Walk into a mall. Walk into a store and say, I'm going to make the best denim in the world. Okay, look who's making jeans and look at the price they're selling it for. Can you compete with them? If you can't, then that's not your uniqueness. It's not going to be, you know, the, the product or the quality because you're not going to beat Levi's and they sell their jeans for $39. So why are you unique? So it's probably going to end up being marketing or distribution or something like that. So I'm kind of curious, from your perspective and your professional experience, what
1: differentiates a luxury brand versus a more so trendy, day-to-day kind of brand? Like, what makes Louis Vuitton so, you know, able to charge you $1,000 on a jacket when you can probably get that same, not really the same, but in sounds sense, like, quality-wise, you can find it somewhere else for, like, you know, half the price.
0: The brand, that's it. Okay. There's nothing different. I can, I can show you, we make a shoe that we sell for... 99 dollars that every luxury brand sells between 550 and a thousand exact same quality but the reason why people buy our brand is because they want that look at that price the people the reason why they buy those other brands is because they want that brand on their feet so there's like a niche market for every single thing yeah if you can build a luxury brand you have to tell a story luxury is about storytelling you know like people connect with luxury brands because of the story they're telling them and sure the craftsmanship and product is there but at the end of the day it's the it's the story that that brand is particularly telling
1: would you say this is for everything like give or take I mean I'm just let's say I'm from a retailer perspective a shopper a consumer Uh, I like watches right so would you say the quality in a sense is the same for all-around products or do actually have like some brands actually have better quality than others?
0: absolutely when when Louis Vuitton charges what they charge they are making incredible product does it really cost that much to make no it doesn't cost anywhere near that but they are making a better product so across watches the country of origin of where things are made cars you know everything it's like but you know for some people they view a watch as something that tells the time and for some people it's a statement statement. so if it's a statement then you're willing to pay for that brand
1: that's very interesting so explain to me so you said so far a brand is a story yeah what other key components maybe give me like the top three key components that creates a successful brand other than what we've already described which is the product the marketing and yeah the so the story
0: is obviously the most important a story that actually connects with people you may think the story is good but the people who buy this stuff have to actually connect with it so i think that's first and foremost the other thing that makes a brand that people don't realize is time you have to build trust with the brand the mm. only way you can build trust, you cannot speed up trust. Trust happens over time. over time. And it takes years for people to have that trust. Louis Vuitton is like a hundred plus year old brand. Yeah, uh, you know uh, All the yeah. brands that people love are like so old. Their heritage, they're like, you know, your grandparents used to wear those shoes or whatever. And so that's what it's really about. It's about time and telling an incredible story. That's like the two major components in making a really great brand.
1: Very cool. So now that you're in this industry for a long time since, you know, we were talking about since 2002, yeah. you've done this for a while. In the beginning,
0: it was more about opportunity. Now, why do you do it? It's just fun. Like being in fashion and then having the success we've had is actually quite fun. So explain to me your lifestyle. How do you live? What do you do? Um, you know, I'm married with a child now, so it's changed a little bit, <laughs> but it was just, it was a, it was a long party for a very long time. Oh God and uh we, because of what we do for a living, we get to be in the places where everyone wants to be, so we're at Coachella, we're at Art Basel, we're at every fashion week around the world, we get to go on shopping trips, you know we're just it's what work is in our That's industry, job. yeah, uh, and you know we get to go to i'm going to the super bowl this weekend i can go to any concert i want so it's just like those are things that like our industry you just have to be at you're rooting for the rams or patriots rams in la (laughs) (laughs) very cool Uh, but yeah that's that's really what it is and it's fun like i i enjoy being around young creative people and fashion's always a young person's game it's never an old person's game and so I love being around young. It makes me feel young. It make, keeps me young. Keeps my energy level high. It's a, it's an amazing industry, and it's and it's it's fun to see the evolution of it. And I think fashion is one of those industries that evolves quickly and changes. F- fast and And we'll never die and I'll never die everybody wants to always you always need to wear clothes it's not gonna (laughs) unless that changes yeah I mean if people just walk around naked in the future (laughs) because the weather is always nice then that's different yeah (laughs) so for everybody that's watching
1: right now what's like your top three key tips on how an entrepreneur should choose an industry and start working in that industry
0: so I mean I I think a lot of people always say like follow your passion the key thing about that is follow your passion if there's actually an opportunity there because sometimes a passion could be a hobby. So like I love college football. Should I go be a coach? No. I could just watch it on the weekends and enjoy it. And that's, a, that's something I'm actually passionate about. I love Like I get riled up watching football. But that's just a hobby. That's all that is. There's no money to be made there. And mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, but if you can find a, something you're passionate about and there's actually an opportunity that you can make a living doing then it's a home run. And I think by by seeking an opportunity, I think you also need to be very objective about it because just because blind ambition sometimes will will take you down a wrong path. And, hmm. and then you you need to look at things objectively. And when you're young and you're starting, sometimes you just be like, there's definitely an opportunity in X, Y, Z and you're going 100 miles per hour and you want to believe you want to believe it, yeah. but it doesn't actually exist. So so you may need to, that's why you need to have mentors, people you can talk to, people you can bounce ideas off so you never have to feel like that. So you can be like, you know what, this is actually a terrible idea. You shouldn't do this. Someone needs to be able to tell you that. Um, Were you able to have those kind of mentors accessible to you when you first started? Yeah. So I wouldn't, it's funny, our first investor, who's not a partner anymore, but when I met him, he used to tell me how we had no talent, our product was terrible. Our, everything about us was bad, except the fact that we worked hard. You worked hard. Okay. He's like, you guys work so hard and want it so bad. You're willing this brand into success. But none of the things that you think you have, you actually, <laughs> actually have. are good. And which forced us to, to evolve. Pivot. To, no, no, to actually get good. Yes. Um, like make better product, understand the industry better. And without that, we would have never been here. He was so real with us. And a lot of people can't take that. oh definitely i mean you kind of have to put your emotions aside when you're doing this and i think the other key characteristic is patience so even like i said it takes time to build a brand it takes time to build a business it takes time to understand your industry it takes time to build all the relationships to be successful build the infrastructure to have a successful business i'm able to launch brands fast now because i have the connections. I have the relationship. I have the infrastructure. We want to make anything. I can go make it. We have an office in China. It's not hard for us. But like it gets to a point it, that took time. It took 10, 15 yeah, years. You said it took you 10 years until you
1: figured out how five four is going to be special. Yeah. Yeah. And then you called it an overnight success, which is funny because, you know, I hear it all the time. People yeah. Look, like, look at that guy. He- yeah. It blew up all of a sudden. Like, yeah, well, but it took ten years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ten years in the making. Exactly. That's awesome. So you know, let's, let's let's take it back a little moment more on a personal note here. So growing up, were you a part of a family that was supportive at all to kind of get you into this entrepreneurship field? How did this like you know, ru- like, you know, inside of you like turn on?
0: Yeah, my my uh, my parents were pretty traditional. They're highly educated. My father was an engineer. My mother had a travel agency, and. Uh, they didn't discourage us in any way. They were like, go pursue whatever you're interested and in, passionate about. I think like now being a parent, I understand why parents push their kids maybe not to start a business uh, and go get a job. Please it's, explain. I'd love to hear your perspective. It's out of fear of your child suffering. Huh. So I have a child now. I would yeah. never, never, I would, if my parents ever discourage me, I'm like, oh, you know what you're talking about. And I'd be like, why are they holding me back? And I understand. They saw me suffer for 10 years. Like, I literally struggled. I like, couldn't pay rent. I couldn't, like, for so many, we had good years, we had bad years. Good years, I was on top of the world. Bad years, I couldn't pay rent. And so, as a parent, you're like, man, I don't want to see my child go through that. There's a safer way. Go be a teacher. Go be a doctor. Go be a lawyer. And get your paycheck. Collect your, put, save your money and live this great you can live the life that, like my parents. did, My parents were very conservative, saved all their money, never had to worry about money because they were always very conservative how they spent and lived and lived within their means. I was reckless. I just went and did whatever the hell I wanted to do, <laughs> blew money when I had it, and and I struggled when I didn't have it. And so, as a parent, they don't. Want, it's rough to watch your child suffer. Mm. You know, like calling your parents you know, at 30 years old and say, I'm broke. I have like, I I owe $10 million. I don't know what to do. You know, like when you go through that, you're just like, shit. Yeah. You know, that's why parents discourage them because they don't want to see their child suffer. So as a
1: father and as an entrepreneur, you know, I know your child, you said very young still. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. So what are some tactics? Maybe, I don't know, I don't know if you've thought of this or maybe you haven't just yet, but let's get the ball rolling. I'm kind of curious. What are some tactics you probably use to,
0: push them to their limits, but also at the same time, keep that safety net for them. I think it's about exposing them. Uh, so I'll give an example. My parents were, when it came to education, was were very keen on us getting exposed to everything. So traveling, museums, just like go, you need to learn the world. Because it's, it's a global... It's eco- a big place. It's a big place and don't be stuck in your little bubble. And I think with our son, we are taking that same route. I want him to be exposed to every culture. We're obviously going to travel. He needs to be uh, aware of music and sports and reading and whatever. He can make his choice for what he's actually going to be interested in, but at least show him that the world exists and then go from there. Because I think often when you don't grow up in a big city, you grow up in a smaller town, you are not exposed to things that that later in life actually we're gonna hit you hit you and then you're not prepared to handle those situations and you may react in the wrong way because you just don't know better it's like uh racism is a perfect example of that and i don't think people inherently are racist they just they grow up in their little bubble and then all of a sudden they wake up one day and they're like i've never seen this type of person before why are they here hmm. and they maybe they overheard their parents and the way they talked and stuff like that and they inherited that and they they got they got brainwashed into thinking that that's something wrong but if you're around that from day one then you're accepting of all ideas and cultures and stuff like that so i think that's where we would do with our son is really just expose him and give him the choice of like okay what do you want to do you got you got to see everything now what do you want to do you choose so
1: as a new father too would you say your work ethic has changed ever since
0: yeah, so it's, a, it's really interesting. I've never worked harder than I did in the last 12 months, <laughs> which is crazy. And, and I've worked hard my entire life. And now it's like I really want to set my family up for the future in a way that allows us to provide the best kind of experience for him as a child. And, and so that has pushed me to work harder. But at the same time, I'm very mindful of like not being home, like it to me is that everyone who I know that's older, that has older children, been very successful, or even take a read a book of Phil Knight or any of these people, the last chapter is I wish I spent more time with my family. That's the biggest regret. Yeah, it's everyone's regret. So then I'm like, okay, I want to obviously provide for the best for my family. But does it actually matter when it's all said and done? Who cares about money? The time is way more valuable than money, so it's a balance. It's like obviously we want to give him the best life, but at the same time, is it? It's not at the cost of not being around with him.
1: I see. I see. So, little curiosity. You said that the last twelve months you've worked your ass off. Yeah. So for everybody that's watching right now, I mean, your why is your son. Yeah. Currently, so what if? for somebody who doesn't have a child, who doesn't have a family, how are they able to fire themselves up and create a why that's bigger than themselves so that they can push hard and create their goals?
0: The real reason should be to get the most out of life. If you kind of put 150% into your life, let's say it's work, and you res- you end up experiencing success, failure, maybe you'll, you'll meet your future spouse, maybe you'll travel the world, you're going to meet all these interesting people, you're going to be exposed to all these interesting things. That's going to make you a better person. And ultimately, that should be why you want to do it, because it's like, uh, you know, I always you know, recently I' talking to a lot of people, and I was like, I can't imagine not going 150 percent at everything you do, because you only get to live once. Like, how are people sitting at home watching TV? Yeah, like why would you waste your time? You have doing one that? life. Yeah, like, and I'm not even saying just about work. Go experience life. Go, go for a run. Go meet some new friends. Go to a museum. Go travel the world. Like, don't just sit around. Like such a waste of time. You'll regret it when it's all when it's all said and done. you be like, I wish I. you I run into friends who are now, you know, who are my age. Like, oh, I wish I traveled when I was younger. It doesn't mean you can't travel now. You just gave up on life. And so, I think the why should be to want to experience everything. And yeah. you can only do that if you have the resources available for you to Yeah, you to- not even that, it's like, but why should be, the why sh- this why should be for everything in your life. Like go and do everything, live your life to the fullest. It's not about money or success or any of those things. It's just about like, I have friends who don't have a lot of money but they have a very fulfilled life, right? They've done everything they've ever wanted to do and that's way more interesting 30 years from now to talk about. Be like, yeah, I, I lived with the monks in Tibet for three months. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, You have a story to tell. Not I worked my ass off and went to a bunch of happy hours. <laughs> that's a waste of time too. Like you got to have a balance. I see. And your why should be to go experience everything. What's your definition of a work-life balance? I mean, having a family is much different than... Uh, when you're single, when you're single, single work life balance meant to me having fun and working hard. So, as soon as I left work, I was like, I need to have fun because otherwise life's too stressful. So, that was my balance as a single person. As I'm married and a married and a father, it's about time. It's like, yes, I go to work. Yes, we have to provide for the family, but I have to be home by a certain time so I get to put my son to sleep. And in the morning, that's my morning time with him. I, gotta, I wake up early so I can spend two hours with him in the morning so it's just that is the balance and you have to make time for it it's like you have to schedule your time with your family it sounds crazy but you have to do it yeah my wife's like put down your phone put down your phone in the mornings okay so I put my phone away and I have one-on-one time with my son so it's things that I saw my father wasn't able to do because he would leave so early for work he was so he was so fixated on making sure we had the best of of life, but I'd rather have him spend time with us.
1: I see. I see. So since we're running out of time over here, I want to go back into the whole business side. Okay. We talked about five, four. Talk to me a bit about young and reckless. How did that start? And where did the name come from?
0: So young and reckless was a concept that drama had. Uh, he had just finished up a television show called Robin big on MTV. It's a huge, huge hit. They were thinking about doing a new television show called The Fantasy Factory. His manager had called me and the first time uh, I met Drama he was looking for a check for $500 a month to wear 5-4 on Fantasy Factory. And I said no because I was like I don't know who you are and I don't know who Rob Dyrdek is. I don't know who any of you guys are and because I was at that point 27 years old and I didn't watch MTV and I did not know anything that was going on on MTV. So I was like sorry guys not interested. The show happens, I pass. He comes back a year later and goes, The show's a huge hit. I want to do my own brand. I'm like, I didn't give you $500 for a month to wear mine. I don't know if we're going to do a new brand. (laughs) I end up finally watching the show and I was like, Holy shit. This This is a big deal. And it's a commercial. Like they had written, they had created the show so they can promote products. And so we went back. Drama had the name already. He had a name, Young and Reckless. He wanted to do. He wanted to bring streetwear to the masses. So he was like, I grew up in Ohio, and he's like, I couldn't get access to all these cool LA brands. I wanna take that concept to everyone else. So we uh, were fortunate enough to film the episode of the show where he integrated for the first time um, on TV. I got that episode six months in advance. I took that episode to all the major retailers in America and said, would you buy this brand? It's gonna be on this TV show. Every single retailer said yes. Like, I'd never seen anything like it. Like, we were in 4,000 stores day one.
1: Wow. But it took you six months to set up,
0: even with your yeah. connections.
1: Yeah. So, that's kind of a key thing to like, for everybody that's watching, 10 years in the making. Yeah. And even when you had the connections, it wasn't honestly like a one day job. No. It took no. you six
0: months. And then we had to fulfill all those orders. You're talking hundreds of thousands of t shirts you had to make. Once it launched? Once, it, Literally day one, we shipped like millions of dollars. <laughs> because they were, that show was so big. So we shipped and boom, like the brand just exploded from day one. That's crazy. So how did so Young and Reckless, the, so the name Drama already had? Or? Yeah, he had already trademarked it. He, had, he wanted to do it, but he wanted a partner, right? He needed- And you were the guy that knew the guys that distributed things. Yeah, and he, he went and pitched DC Shoes. He went and pitched all these brands and no one would take them seriously. So we were at a point where we were looking for something new also and it just the timing was perfect it's it worked like, out it worked out great and we were off to the races that's
1: insane so as an entrepreneur talk to me about that day when you came into the office and you had hundreds of thousands of
0: orders to ship what was going through your head it, we laughed because it was like <laughs> because it was like all these years to get that for five we were just getting that for five four after like six seven years and we got it in like A day a day literally went to all travel the country in one week and I came back with millions of dollars in orders And I was like, this is insane. How is this possible?
1: (laughs) So, you know for a starting entrepreneur like me, we're kind of growing right now We're dealing with a lot of growth spurt issues and I'm sure a lot of people that are watching maybe in the same position How do you deal with, you know, I guess growing out of your circle taking yourself to the next level without screwing up what
0: you've already built? so I think part of it is focus so when you start having success you start getting opportunities left and right there's gonna be a time and place to capitalize on those opportunities and there's a time and place to just focus on what you're doing and scale it and one of the mistakes that we always made was as soon as we'd have a little bit of success we'd go take on something new and that would kinda like take away from the focus that we should have been focusing on the whole time so I think Focus is really, really important. You really only have to be great at one thing to be successful. Like, just great at it. And you will see the financial rewards of of that. And I think oftentimes we all think of we have to do everything under the sun to be successful. You just have to do one thing really great.
1: Okay. So focus on one thing. Let that grow. Let the opportunities
0: come from then. Yeah. And then when you have the resources and infrastructure, go do... Go do ten different things, but until then you you're not set up to succeed.
1: Awesome, awesome man. So we're coming to an end right now. I have one final question for you. We kind of I guess covered it before, but I want I like to ask this question from time to time to see especially someone for you in the fashion industry. How does an entrepreneur find their passion?
0: I think it's about experiencing as many things as possible. So I think a lot of kids uh, will go to school, if they choose to go to college and maybe just go through the motions and don't actually pay attention. Or they sit on their phone and just scrolling through Instagram and they're just looking at what other people are doing and they're not actually doing shit. So you got to go do shit. You got to go travel. You got to go experience. You got to go meet interesting people. And one of the things when I was younger, I met everybody. By like 21, I had the craziest network because I wanted to go meet people and I wanted to just like to network yeah reason I like to hear what other people are doing I wouldn't even call it network cuz networking sounds like I'm selling something yeah I had nothing to sell I had nothing to gain I just wanted to hear what other people were doing even to this day young entrepreneurs walk into my office and I've no upside in meeting with all the people I do I do it cuz I'm curious I wanna know what's going on in the world I wanna know what people are thinking about it does help me apply it to my business. Do you think that specific tactic allows you to grow a network faster since you're actually caring about them and not wanting to like, I always say that's how you actually build a network is be helpful. Don't ask for shit. Be valuable. Yeah, that is the most most important skill that most people don't understand. Most people would be like, can you help me with this? Instantly, right? Instantly. I'm like, okay, I can. But that's not the way to go about it you know it's more of like how can i help you i see so i know i said that
1: was my last question but that this this got me thinking top three key tips to provide value for somebody
0: that you just met um i think if you are if you want to meet somebody take the time to understand who they are what they're interested in their background know everything about them it's not hard to find information about people and the fact that you took the time to understand their, and know their life, it's very flattering for, for anybody. And I'll constantly meet with people that want to be in fashion. And they'll be like, oh, what's 5'4"? I'm like, you want me to help you and you don't know what the fuck I built? That's yeah. A, that's insane to me. Yeah. I walk into a meeting, I know everything about everyone. I, I already know your whole life story. I'll ask you like you never, like I don't know, but I would have already taken the time to understand who you are and i think that is a free way to connect with someone is learn about them know about them so you're asking something very specific that only if you know their life that they would answer that question maybe where they went to college you know what 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 they you everyone's social media is usually public like learn about them i think that's more valuable than a gift you know cuz you actually care Sure, you, a handwritten note goes a long way. A small gesture goes a long way. I just did I just took a picture. In the last seven days, I probably got sent 35 different things from people to get my attention. They got my attention. They went out of the way to write a note, send me something, and said, "Can you take a look at this? I'd love your opinion on it." That's like didn't, doesn't cost them much, but you know. Okay. Take the effort. It's like for me, like if you're interested in meeting me or my community, I have a run club. Come and run. That's it. That You'll easy. meet everybody if you come and run with me. And you're pretty it, public and out there. Yeah. Like, when I
1: met you, you seemed really chill. So. Yeah, exactly. So know.
0: that's me, and that's a that's a I'm an easygoing person to to connect with. But it's someone that's hard, you got to put effort. do so can't just send one DM and be like, yo yo yo. Was like, good. <laughs> Yeah, don't even DM them, you know? Find, <laughs> Find their fucking information. Find their value, have a gesture, give me a third one. Um, is this in, in terms of connecting with somebody?
1: Yeah, I mean, in a sense of, because uh, I feel like I dealt with it in my first starting years. Now, I guess you can say, you know, out of experience- Get I've an learned, intro. Get an intro from someone, like a reference.
0: Yeah, like literally someone that already knows them better. Like, if you know I know someone that you want to meet, figure out a, a way that makes me want to introduce you to, to that person.
1: Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Very cool. I like that. All right, my man. Cool. Anything else to add on? Where can people find you on social media and all that
0: you do? At DMerthy. That's everything. All the, all the, the social media. we got to get you famous, huh? I know. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta get you on more <laughs> platforms. All right, my man. Thank you so thank much you. for being on the show, man. Yeah, I appreciate exactly.
1: you. Thank you. Sweet. <laughs>